It's been one week since you looked at me. Cocked your head to the side and said I'm angry. Five days since you laughed at me. Saying get back together, come back and see me. Three days since the living room. I realized it's all my fault but couldn't tell you. Yesterday you'd forgiven me. But it'll still be two days till I say I'm sorry. Hold it now I want to hook wink. Does it make you stop think? You'll think you're looking at Aquaman. I summon fish to the dish. Although I like the shallow Swiss, I like the sushi. Cause it's never touch a frying pan. Hot like wasabi when I bust rhymes. Big like Leanne rhymes. Because I'm all about value. Third campers got the mad hits. You try to match wits. You try to hold me but I bust through. Gonna make a break and take a pick out like a sink and ache and shake out like vanilla. It's the finest of the flavors. Gonna see the showcase and you'll know the vertigo is gonna go. Cause it's so dangerous. You'll have to sign a waiver. Can I help you? Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And we are rocking out this morning to Bare Naked Ladies. A great band. Fun that, band. That was one week. Right. And uh, they are talking about having a argument and how long it will take them to make up. And today's topic is fighting fair. Fighting fair. So we're talking about, now my guess is we're talking about kind of rhetorically, intellectually. Relationally. Relationally. Well, okay, a couple of things inspired this idea for me. First of all, you know, the Democrats have been congratulating themselves, almost breaking their arms, patting each other on the back on how civil they have been. And uh, in the past week or so, a rather ambiguous statement, I guess, that Hillary Clinton made set off the Sanders camp and uh, where they began questioning whether or not each other was qualified for president uh and you know sanders i think for maybe the first time at least that i have been following him really lost his cool and got personal and i think overreacted to something that that was not really that that egregious yeah he is i'll tell you whatever your political leanings are the Sanders campaign is one of the most focused. I mean, he's never off message. No, he is not. That's why it was so surprising. Yeah, it's because uh, usually I think some one commentator said the Clinton campaign, both in two thousand eight and now, tends to like underestimate and then overcompensate. Yeah, you know, and it's also interesting too. I mean, regardless of what you think about Hillary, Hillary Clinton, um, on paper she's the most qualified person probably running on any of the party right now, or at least certainly the people that are left. I mean, that's that's a value judgment. But, I mean, she was wife and a very active participant in a White House, I mean, and in a governor's mansion. She was a very effective senator uh, and actually worked, uh, as opposed to some of the other people that have read, run for uh, run for president. And, you know, she was a, she was a secretary of state, regardless of how you uh, judge her role as secretary of state, uh, she has been Benghazi. Jeez, <laughs> oh, thank you. Wait a, minute, wait a minute, quick. Let's get security. Get that Fox reporter out of here. Benghazi. Benghazi. Yeah. Okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We've removed the Fox reporter from her studio. Email. Benghazi. Email. <laughs> Benghazi. But, she can't use email. <laughs> but anyway, so it it does. I mean, it, uh, I mean, I think again, it, it pales in comparison to what's happened on the Republican side, but. I think it became a big deal, and of course the news media made it a big deal, even though some of the, the, the people tried to have her, both of them, walk it back a little bit. Uh, but uh, Let me tell you this. My theory is as Stern goes, goes the nation. Stern is a very independent like political uh, thinker, 
he's generally where I think most of the country is. Howard Stern. Howard Stern, yeah. He's like pro-business, pro-environment. You know, he's uh, pro-Second Amendment, but he's not against gun control law. I mean, he's a very, like, middle-of-the-road kind of guy. Today, he was on a rant about people saying Hillary Clinton is not qualified. He's a, he said he's torn because he has a friendship with Donald Trump, and he thinks he could be a Supreme Court judge. if, if right. Trump, he, he, will be, he will be in the Trump administration. Yeah, but he's, but he's a Hillary Clinton supporter. He's given money to Hillary Clinton. He's been pretty public about it. And I think that, to me, he's like a swing state kind of person. I mean, he's a, guy, he's a kind of guy that's a New Yorker, but he's not super liberal. Uh, you know, he's not. I mean, so as Stern goes, goes the nation. And Stern is with Hillary Clinton right now. Well, and that, that made me think a little bit, too. Okay, uh, again, politics is one thing. But uh, what does it mean to fight fair? For instance, and you and I talked about this a bit. Um, you know, I, I, I think periodically, and this is not, this is not my better angel here involved with this, but you know, periodically there'll be something like in social media. I usually let stuff go, but periodically someone will put something on and I just, I don't know. I recreationally like to go after them intellectually. And I had that experience over the, over the weekend. And, um, uh, you know, I think that what the person said was absurd. Uh, and, uh, you know, I do believe in free speech, but I, I can't really believe that this person was given a voice and a platform. Nonetheless, I engaged with them. You sound very penitent. <laughs> <laughs> and I can tell the regrets yeah, coming forth. It's just no, I know. oozing See, this, out. This is why, yeah, I'm going to be in purgatory for a while. Anyway, um, but yeah, we went back and forth, and and I kind of went subtly, not a major jugular vein, but it's one of those veins that would bleed a lot, and I I went for it uh, subtly, and and uh, I could tell that the subtlety was not lost on this person. Well, Bill, I'm going to read to you from the University of Texas CMHC. Uh, you, this is the Counseling and Mental Health Center, which provides counseling, psychiatric consultation and prevention services that facilitate students academic and life goals wait a minute i just i just i just had a scene from what about bob come to my mind I'm, i need this i really i really need this <laughs> I, I love that movie <laughs> that movie's great this is great do it is this death is this death therapy yeah this is this is their fair fighting ground rules <laughs> okay good good they say fighting fair is a way to manage conflict and the feelings oh. that come with it effectively. To fight I, fairly. I already, I already don't like it. Go I, ahead. I figured you would. But <laughs> to fight fairly, you just need to follow some basic guidelines to help keep your disagreements from becoming entrenched or destructive. This may be difficult when you think another's point of view is irrational, as you just did, <laughs> or just plain unfair. But remember, he or she may be you may think the same thing about your ideas. So here we go. Here's the ground rules. All right. Remain calm. All right. I, re I, I tend to always remain calm when it comes to intellectual things. So, because you don't want to overreact to difficult situations. No, no. And if you remain calm, it's more likely that others will consider your, voice, your, your viewpoint. All right, check. I got that one down. Express feelings in words, not actions. I, I do that. What is an emoji count as? I, I or, don't. Or I don't, bitmoji. I don't like them. You know, I like bitmoji. I, I, I maybe just need a better prescription for my glasses, but I, I'm not, I don't. Uh, anyway. Bitmojis, I like more than emoji. Okay. So if you start to feel angry or upset that, that you feel you may lose control, take a time out and do something to help yourself feel calm. Take a walk, do some deep breathing, play with the dog, write in your journal, whatever works for you. Uh, well, playing with your dogs. 
would be stressful. <laughs> He's got, but for those of you who don't know, he has rescue pit bulls. Be specific about what is bothering you. Vague complaints are hard to work on. That's true. That is actually very, that's, that's a huge, by the way, just an aside, that's really essential in terms of relationship. You know, one of the things, obviously, it's a cliche, but I've counseled a lot of couples in my life and, you know, not clearly communicating is a big deal. So, like, what's wrong with her? That sort of stuff. Is <laughs> deal with only one issue at a time. That's actually very good advice. Don't introduce other topics until each is fully disclosed. The, this avoids the kitchen sink effect where people throw in all their complaints while not allowing anything to be resolved. Can I speak on the side there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think um, particularly couples with children. I mean, if you stop and think the sheer amount of energy it takes to have children, raise children, you know, um, I think about, for instance, my oldest son, his wife, you know, they're great parents, but they, you know, they're young kids. They work hard. Both of them have, you know, careers. They make the coming home, the children a priority. By the time they're actually just the two of them, um, how do you have any energy to talk about? I mean, you know, when I have, when I've talked to couples, uh, and you kind of do the, uh, you know, you try, how did we get here? A lot of times it goes back to those years where, the, you know, there's, there was no one's fault. There just wasn't energy, and by the time they had some energy to talk, you know, well, you know, the, the, the dreaded "let's have a weekend to ourselves," particularly for people who haven't prepared for it, it becomes awful because there's just so much stuff that's built up. I listened to a political commentator contrasting Ronald Reagan, who was so good at just anecdotes that he would just put in his speeches, like the teleprompter, "add story here," and he would just figure out what to say, as opposed to Jimmy Carter who they had to number out his personal illustrations <laughs> on note cards. So they said sometimes at the end of a long campaign day, he would turn to Roslyn, hold her hand, and go, Roslyn, 68. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty, that's that's pretty funny, good. Yeah. Uh, uh, avoid, uh, uh, what was the last one we had? No, oh, no hitting below the belt. Attacks, attacking areas of personal sensitivity creates an atmosphere of distrust, anger, and vulnerability. So... Well, no, that wasn't my, my – going for the jugular wasn't – I don't think that was below the belt. Avoid accusations. Accusations will lead others to focus on sure. defending themselves sure. rather sense. than understanding you. Instead, talk about how someone's actions made you feel. What could you have said about this person's comment and about how it made you feel? Like, this makes me feel like you're making the world a stupider place. Something like that. See, see that saying it that way makes it sound even more stupid. This makes me feel like you're making the world a more stupid place. Yeah. Okay. Now you wouldn't even you would not say it that way. I don't feel like someone with a functioning brain. I don't know. <laughs> like, okay. So try not to generalize. Avoid words like I think this is very important. Actually, I, avoid words like never or always. Such right. generalizations are, are usually inaccurate and will heighten tensions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Avoid make believe. Exaggerating or inventing a complaint or your feelings about it will prevent the real issue from surfacing. Stick right. with the facts and your honest feelings. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Dragnet. Great show. Don't stockpile. Storing up lots of grievances and hurt feelings over time is counterproductive. It it's almost impossible to deal with numerous old problems for which recollections may differ. Try to deal with problems as they arise. So in other words, don't put your stockpile into the kitchen sink. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> that was so you combined. Yeah, that's, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I wonder how much money they got to do this study. Go ahead. Avoid clamming up. Positive results can only be attained with two-way communication. One person becomes silent and stops responding. The other frustration and anger can result. However, if you feel yourself getting overwhelmed or shutting down, you may need to take a break from the discussion. Just let your partner know you'll return to the conversation as soon as you're able. And then don't forget to follow up. Okay, wait a minute. You just made me feel bad. I'm going to leave for a minute. Okay. I would love to see that in a political debate. I'm going to leave the stage for a minute. Yeah. Okay, I'm all better. I like that. I like that. Establish common ground rules. You may even want to ask your partner in conflict to read and discuss this information with you. When both people accept positive common ground rules for managing conflict, resolution becomes much more likely. By the way, I do. I've used that a lot with people who are having trouble talking and there's a lot of emotion. I say, you know, write, you know, write it down and you have the option of giving it to the other person or not giving it to the other person. Yeah. So I think like basically what you should do, I could give you this in, in PDF form and you could send it to the person that you criticized and then revisit the debate. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I want to do that. No? Yeah, it's, I don't think it's that important in the scope of either of our lives. But I do, I do think it does raise, I mean, it raises a lot of issues. I mean, you and I have seen a lot of unfair church fights. Uh, we have certainly have seen and been a part of many relational fights that weren't, uh, weren't good. I mean... You and I, I mean, we tend to spend a good bit of time together, and, you know, you and I have had our differences. I know that's hard to believe, but... Uh, I'm leaving now, too. I'll be <laughs> back in a minute. <laughs> but we had, to, we had to back it up and actually sit down and, and, uh, and talk about things. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that's... The, the conflict is, is a, a part of life, and so I think you, like, figuring out how to do it in a way that's constructive is helpful in just about any endeavor, public or private. Right. You know, Jesus said, or not Jesus, I'm sorry, Paul said, be angry and sin not. I mean, I think that gives, I mean, I think that's... He also a, said that physical training is of some value. Yeah, we go. That's why I work out. Yeah. Apost- apostolic exhortation. And uh, even though it may not be genuine, Paul, a little wine is good for your stomach. Yeah. So if, if a little like wine it. is good for your stomach, does that mean a lot of wine is great for your stomach? Depends on the wine. It depends on what has to be good wine. And I think the other thing too, and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, saying, you know, you know, make make things right with your brother or sister before you make your offering. In other words, I think a lot of the reasons, you know, let's say, let's just take a local church for instance. Some some of what prevents greater intimacy and community in local churches is that we pretend that um, you know some of the conflict that's there isn't isn't there, and I think it prevents. You know, greater connectedness, and I and I have to admit, you know, I've always tried to promote and and encourage people to to make things right, and um, I I you know, you know, with all you know full disclosure here, uh, more than a few of those things have blown up in my face, and I think I've done them you know, all you know you do it in the right way, but you know in a way that's you know psychologically sophisticated and you know gentle, but um, I think that's there's a th- one of the reasons there's so many disconnects between what we say we believe and what we practice is because we tend we tend not to do that very well in the context of faith communities. Yeah, I think that's that's true. I mean, churches are weird places sociologically. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I you know, I, I won't. How can I say this so 
the guildies can be protected. But I remember doing this, and uh, and both of the parties found a way to get back at me. And I don't they consciously would not realize that's why they were doing it. Two people I helped an awful lot found very significant ways to inflict damage. And I think part of it was it allowed them not to to take responsibility for the fact that they both would say that Jesus was the most important thing in their life, and they both had a lot of hate for each other. Well, had you had the University of Texas rules, it might have gone differently if I could have emailed No, I, I think most of those things are commonsensical, and we, we do them. Um, what about, you know... Um, you know, in terms of, you know, you you have a, I think, a great marriage. I, I love your wife dearly, and I, I love Me too. Two, I love, <laughs> good. I love the two of you together. I mean, how, how do you two, uh, and and for another full disclosure, I did your wedding. Yeah, so a lot of disclosure. This yeah. is a big disclosure that's, that's podcast. Right. Yes, okay. that's, that's right. And no, I mean, I think, I think it's funny because um, Lindy was at, uh, bridal shower Saturday and you had to write advice on the placemats or something. And oh. she said, and she said, contrary to what you hear, you can go to bed angry. Sometimes you wake up and just feel better. <laughs> and it's not, <laughs> yeah. So somebody said, what about the biblical injunction? Well, she said, well, technically, right. The Hebrew is from sundown to sundown. So, you know, the Hebrew you, you calendar, know, it works different. different. You could do the day differently. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, we, like any couple, we have conflict and sometimes we, think we fight better than other times. But I'll tell you, when we fight fairly with each other because of some of the, our own family system stuff that everybody brings into relationship, it, I, it's actually very gratifying to us. Like when we work through a conflict in a way that uh, doesn't trigger our, you know, some of our own sort of stories that we grew up with that were deleterious, Like it's very rewarding, actually. Well, and I think it also is a tribute to the, both of you have done a lot of work coming into this marriage to make it. She's got to do a lot now that we're married. <laughs> to me. See, see, I didn't say that. I did. Yeah. Full disclosure. Yeah, you know. Benghazi. Benghazi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always waiting for Fox. You know how they have like the the like the the. We're, we're getting this now at like 5 a.m. on our Apple device. And everything they test the broadcast and the. Like I'm, you know that that this is the emergency broadcasting system that happens on your iPhones now. I'm always waiting for Fox. This is the uh, Fox broadcasting system testing. Benghazi, Benghazi, <laughs> Hillary, email. <laughs> well, um, you know, one of the things I think that this, I think this could be true. It's certainly true in uh, in uh, relationships between two significant others. I think it can also be true in your friendships and in your, you know, your Christian or faith connections, as you who have or don't have faith connections, uh, but those people that are life-giving to you, you know, one of the things I, I always ask people is, okay, well, how do you, how do you fight? In other words, and, and, you know, one of the things we can, can often learn from each other is if you're, you know, right now, let's think if there's someone in your life you're feeling some tension or alienation with, and it's a relationship that's important to you and you want to figure out how to, how to, to maybe get back on track. I think sometimes stepping back and saying, okay, how does that person deal with conflict and strong emotions, and how do you deal with that? And sometimes some of the misunderstandings come when you have two very different styles. You know, the classic one is, I like to get everything out, and the other person has to process a little bit. And I think if we can realize that people have different ways of dealing with stress 
I mean, because generally none of us thrive on ill feelings uh, towards someone else. I mean, it's natural for most people to want to resolve. I mean, if someone who continues to enjoy stirring things up, well, that person usually has some sort of psychological defect. Like Woody Woodpecker. He was an instigator. Instigator. Yeah, we go. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually think, you know, it's interesting. I like the Enneagram personality test. I mean, some people like that stuff, some people don't. But one of the things is that they have like this one app, the Ennea app. Uh, like, it actually includes how to get along with me. And like, you know, don't do this or do this or don't. Yeah, so for each type. So I think that is, I think right. you're right. It's, I can't. Kind of come like, I, just, yeah. I find that hilarious. Well, I love the Enneagram. I know you, no, no. And I'm not saying that you love the Enneagram. But there's, I could send you an email. Here's how to get along. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, totally. Oh, totally. And, like, it's funny because I sign up for the Enneagram email, which every day has a reminder, which I think is just a different variation of, hey, don't be a douchebag today. Like, do you get caught in your own event? Like, it's basically a tailor-made version for every type of your own psychosis that's, and what to watch. For the See, I, you know, I think, like, I just realized that your daily communication with me because I am not on that. You're giving me my daily enneagram. Absolutely, I, dude. I didn't even know that. Absolutely, Scott has suggested to people that they should do the enneagram as a date. Oh, it's awesome! It's awesome. People love it. I came across an article today from. I was actually looking for a different article that found this, found that one and this one too. Uh, Polemical theology: How to deal with those who differ from us by Roger Nicole who I think taught at Gordon-Conwell and I think was European and a a decent dogmatic theologian. Uh, But one of the things he says is, A, you you need to understand uh, the person's point of view. Like he has this section, what do I owe a person uh, that differs from me? And now he does use Cornelius Van Til in relationship to Karl Barth. I think it's a bad example. But I'll take – but he does say basically he says, you know, some people are dismissive of – Van Til, who was an American theologian, I think raised in the Netherlands, but here in a polemical kind of figure. And, but, a, and a hyper-fundamentalist. Not a hyper-fundamentalist, but, but I would say. Un- uh, he, would not, he would say he's not a fundamentalist. All right. Like, I just think, like he, in fact, Westminster, Machen, those people, he was conservative, though. All right, conservative. That, yeah, yeah that, he that's was very, probably fair. So, and, and very scholastic kind of Calvinist. All right, so kind of a 19th century Dutch Calvinist conservative. Yes. All right, there we go. Uh, and Nicole says that uh, he looked, he, uh, s- someone said that, um, was sort of saying that Van Til was dismissive of Bart, which I think he was, but he said each of the volumes in his office of the dogmatics, including the most recent, gave evidence of very, very careful scrutiny, like uh, like underlines in almost every page. Mm-hmm. So basically he was saying that, you know, this was not a guy who read a little bit and dismissed it. And he also says that we must understand what a person means like don't use their words to misconstrue them uh he actually uses this 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 example uh also uh that we just talked about he said i have this experience in my my own home i have noticed that my wife sometimes says things like you never empty the wastebasket as a matter of fact on january 12th 1994 i did empty the wastebasket (laughs) therefore the word never is inappropriate this tends to weaken the force of my wife's reproach what i've learned is i don't get anywhere by pressing the point this kind of response does not provide dividends of joy and peace in my home. I've learned to say, therefore, when my wife says never, she often means rarely or not as often as should be. When she says always, she means frequently or more often than should be. So I think that's a really good point. Like I remember I had a professor at, at, in Princeton, a graduate seminar, a PhD seminar, with, 
Max Stackhouse, who I, who's wonderful. We did not agree on a lot of stuff, but right. he would sometimes say to me, what you're saying is Bard or someone that's saying this, this. I was like, yes, exactly. You agree with me. He's like, no, I think you're completely wrong. But he would be able to restate to me what I was arguing in a way that I would be able to sign off on. And so I yeah. think that like if you can't present your per- the person, your interlocutor, if you can't present their perspective in a light that's sympathetic, you're not going to get anywhere. Well, and I also think some of this whole culture of, oh, I need to be safe, you know, prevents us from actually going to the next level. Now, uh, Diogenes Allen, uh, a great, uh, great professor, philosopher at Princeton Seminary of Blessed Memory, he was, he was notoriously cranky. I mean, he may have been the most brilliant guy there when I was there. But, uh, you know, there was a lot of us who were pretty confident people that walked very, tread very carefully in this class. And I remember this one student who she didn't get the, uh, the gravity of, the, of, of his classes. And she came in with one of, you know, a typical grad student asking a pretty frivolous question, trying to show off, look, I'm smart. And I can still remember it. Uh, she asked this question and, you know, she's all perky and everything. And he goes, I don't understand a damned thing that you just said. <laughs> okay. Now we're all we're all at this point, we're trying to get as far away from this. I mean, I'm I'm almost broke the seat. I'm trying to lean away from it. And she answered it something, well, she said it again. And he goes, That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Say it again. Well, this went on for I know, it seemed longer than it did, but it went on probably for five minutes. You could see the sweat on her back. Okay. All right. He kept pushing and pushing and pushing. The last thing she said, and he was, you know, there was this intense look and almost you could see the disdain. The last time she spoke, his face lit up. And he looked at her and goes, that is a brilliant question. Hmm. And, and that's how we'll start today. Hmm. Now, I mean... You know, in, in a lot of places, there would be a petition to have him censored for such a thing. And, you know, I'm not saying that he's, his style was the best, but I came away from that re- thinking he wasn't dismissive of her. He took her seriously enough to help her think more clearly. And, and in a lot of ways, I think learning to fight fairly is a function of I care enough with you to disagree with you and and but also to understand you and that this back and forth and it and you're right sometimes it could be angry and sometimes you step on each other but to stay in the field until at least there's an understanding i think stackhouse illustration the dodgers allens are examples of two great teachers who did great jobs and did well by their students we should have even more impetus to do well by the people that we love dearly or care about when we disagree with them. Yeah, I I, th- I, I, th- I agree. I think uh, I came across, this is the article I was actually looking for originally. It's by Tim Keller. I remember reading it a few years ago. He did several post series on a website on polemical theology. Hmm. And this is the part I remembered when I first read, from years ago when I first read it. He talks about Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a great British preacher, tw- early 20th century, mid 20th century kind of, Figure, and he said that he had this memorable encounter with T.T. Shields, who was the pastor of the Jarvis Street Baptist Church in Toronto, and he was sort of a leading evangelical defender of orthodoxy against 
what he saw as growing liberal theology in the Canadian churches. And he often attacked other church leaders in both <laughs> his preaching and writing. And it's funny because Lloyd Jones, who was viewed as an erratic guy, even though he was he could be polemical at times, but who's generally viewed a lot more charitably, uh, they had very similar theologies. But Lloyd Jones just thought Shields was uh, too controversial, too denunciatory, and too censor censorious. And in their meeting, Shields asked Lloyd Jones if he enjoyed reading the works of another contemporary defender of orthodoxy. Lloyd Jones said that he seldom read the author because he doesn't help me spiritually. Shields asked, surely you are helped by the way he makes mincemeat of the liberals. <laughs> Lloyd-Jones responded, you can make mincemeat of the liberals and still be in trouble in your own soul. And this touched off an another extended debate. At one point, Shields said that he was only doing what Peter, did, what Paul did to Peter, contradicting and opposing him. Lloyd-Jones responded, the effect of what Paul did was to win Peter round to his position and make him call, and make him, call him our beloved brother Paul, can you say the same about the people whom you attack? And for this, Shields had no answer. Yeah, it's like one time Luther said, I think this may be table talk, uh, there are as many sinners in our camp as in theirs. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, realizing that, uh, I mean, you know, that the Paul-Peter uh, situation, you know, reminds me, you know, Jonathan Wesley and George Whitfield at the beginning were, were colleagues. But they eventually kind of split uh, over Whitfield's Calvinism that Wesley didn't agree with. And, you know, there was some animosity, to be honest, on the Wesley side. I mean, I think George Whitfield is kind of a person didn't – he didn't seem to be – He was a happy-go-lucky guy. Ben Franklin loved hosting him when he, he came to a, Philly. He was a very charming guy. Well, one of, uh, one of Wesley's, you know, uh, lieutenants came up to him and said, do you think we will see George Whitfield in heaven? And John Wesley has allegedly said, no, we won't, because he'll be so far in front of us, we won't have vision of him. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So I think, you know, again, if we can, if we can speak the truth in love, and uh, if there is no truth with love, there's the temptation or the tendency for it to become sentimentality. But if there's no love in speaking the truth, then it ultimately has nothing to do probably with the kingdom of God. Yeah, and above all, in conflict, we can first seek to understand before we seek to be understood. Amen. Teardrops on my shirt. I told you I'd let them go. And that I fight my corner. And that tonight I'll call you after my blood turns into alcohol. Just wanna hold yeah Give a little time to me I'll burn this out We'll play hide and seek Turn this around All I want 
is the taste that your lips allow Mama, mama, oh give me love 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 Mama, mama, give me love Give me love like never before Lately I've been craving you more And it's been a while but I still feel the same Maybe I should let you go Cause you know I'll fight my corner And that's enough I'll call you after my blood is drowning in alcohol.